podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Phillips Laven of the 1012 Podcast here. Have you been listening to this show for a while and thought, you know, if that guy can do this, then so can I? Well, you're, you're probably right. And it's worth giving a shot. The one question you're going to ask yourself is, how do I get my podcast out for everyone to listen to on iTunes, on Spotify? Well, you're going to need a hosting site. And if I may make a suggestion, go with Anchor. It's easy and it's free, which is great for podcast hobbyists uh, who aren't exactly expecting this to make a lot of income, especially starting out. Anchor is fantastic. Anchor by Spotify is the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need in one place. It has the tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your show on listening platforms like we mentioned Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And again, it is totally free. It's fantastic. It is what we use. And if it's what we use, it's what we're going to suggest to others. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, that is the Anchor app or anchor.fm to get started with your podcast. Hey, everyone. This is Philip. Uh, we'll get back to your normally scheduled episode here in just a minute, but I wanted to take a minute just to talk about, obviously, the news everyone is aware of. After Sunday, uh, Kobe Bryant and his 13-year-old daughter, two of nine people who died in a helicopter crash on Sunday. Look, I don't, I don't begin to state that I'm a diehard Kobe fan or someone that grew up watching the NBA or even a fan of the Lakers, but... What happened on Sunday is devastating, and I I've had a uh, it it's it's affected me just like it's affected so many other people, and and I wanted to take a moment just to talk about a couple of thoughts that I had about it. Um, first, being this, you know, there aren't many people like Kobe Bryant in history. It's it's not just about what he did on the court. Um, it's not about his checkered past or, or even what he's done since retirement. It's There are so few people that everyone knows the name of. People who don't care about the NBA, who haven't watched a second of it. People who are bigger than life. People who are who take the word iconic and, and, and <laughs> really apply what it means to it. And to to have someone like that pass in a way that he did is so shocking. You've you've seen the reactions on social media. There's there's video after the Michigan State game, the player finding out what had happened. You you see the reaction from Tiger Woods on the course, and and because you just you you don't see someone of that stature die in that way. And that's sudden. And it, I think the way that applies to all of us is this. If it can happen to someone like that in a startling and shocking and painful way as it did, it can happen to any of us. And it's something that we all have to take away from it. I know that Kobe Bryant had a, had a, a past that wasn't the best. And if you want to focus on that in the coming days, that's your business. That's that's not what I want to do. 
what I want to do is, is look at a guy who learned from his, his mistakes, a guy who focused on caring about the WNBA and, and women's basketball, a guy who became a devoted father and a devoted husband. And look, when I, when I saw the news and then I saw that his 13-year-old daughter was on the plane, on the helicopter, um, I woke up my daughter from her nap and I, I hugged her and I held her and I did it for a little bit longer than usual. We all make mistakes. We all do things that are bad. We all hurt people to varying degrees. No one is too far gone. No one is past saving. And no one can't turn things around and live their life the right way. It's never too soon to try. It can be too late. So don't wait. If you can take anything away from this, look at his example and, and, and what he did and the man he became and focus on that. I think I'm going to. Welcome to the 1012, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference. I am your host, Philip Slavin. Thank you for joining us on this Monday. It's a Monday. That means we're talking mostly basketball, and that means that my good friend Andy Nitz is here on the show with us today. Andy, welcome back, bud. Hey, it's, it's good to be back, and it's good to actually be in the intro this time. I know. Welcome. You're like my unofficial co-host for basketball. It's just kind of irregular, and, you know, it's weird, but I like having it here. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like what I do over on my podcast, where I have one co-host for football and one co-host for basketball. Um, and that's pretty much the only time you hear from those two. Uh, Jesse Newell from Kansas City Star will be joining us here shortly just to talk about uh, talk about the outcome of the battle or the brawl or the fight or the ruckus or the showdown, whatever you want to call it, between Kansas and Kansas State last week. Talk about the suspensions, how, um, our thoughts on that, uh, how those are going to affect Kansas moving forward. I also have some interesting thoughts on the Big 12 SEC uh challenge that we just had this past saturday it's always a fun thing to do i don't i think i don't think it's broken i think it could use a little bit of tweaking but it's always fun but one of the big takeaways i had well, a couple of the takeaways i had from it first of all texas tech i know they lost to kentucky but man that arena was packed and i'm props to texas tech they were packed they were loud they were crazy and i saw kentucky people on twitter sitting there going what what how do we how do we get ours to look like that? Like how do we get our arena to look like that? This is Kentucky people I have seen making comments about how impressive Texas Tech fans were, and and look, Kentucky is good. There's no shame in losing that game, not especially not in overtime. Um, I really thought Texas Tech could pull it out. They didn't. That's okay. But even in a loss, I think I think the nation came away from that kind of going. It's going to take a lot to get Chris Beard. Everyone keeps thinking Chris Beard is just going to leave. Lubbock with a first chance. I don't know, man. That's kind of a hard thing, barring someone offering him a bajillion dollars to to walk away from. Yeah, I mean, I'm having a hard time 
Like even like teams like Texas, I'm not sure that he would want to go to Texas. They'd have to pay him a whole lot. It's not like the environment would be that much different. Texas Tech fans seem to be a lot more into the basketball program than Texas fans do. And, and you cannot convince me that that all just has to do with the level of winning that they've done recently. Um, to, to, to talk, though, a little bit about the, the atmosphere that there was in Texas Tech, I, I can tell you from personal experience, if you give away free beer, you're going to get a really great environment um, pretty what? much any time. So, yeah, no. they, gave away, they gave away free beer for that game. So it's not, it's not a mystery at all why the crowd was so rowdy and why they had so many people there. You know, if you if you give a bunch of college students and a bunch of alumni a bunch of beer, a lot of them are going to show up. I mean, you could convince me to sit through a three-hour lecture on knitting if you gave me free beer through the whole thing. So, you know, I understand that. Um, speaking of Texas, I'm glad you brought them up. We are officially on Shaka Smartwatch. Look, we have, we have griped about, shat upon, besmirched the name of Shaka Smart a lot on this pod. Let me just, as I always say, it's not that he's not a good coach, and I'm sure after he's done at Texas, he'll go to some mid-major school, and they'll be winning within two seasons. But man, forget the loss to Kansas. You lost by almost 40 to West Virginia, and it wasn't even that close. Like, that's one of those games you look at and go, oh, it's only a 38-point loss? I thought they were going to lose by 100. It was bad. It was embarrassing. It was the low point amongst low points for Shaka Smart at Texas so far. And look, I didn't get to watch much of the LSU-Texas game. I saw they were down big. I, To be honest, we had our one-year or our, our first birthday party for my daughter on Saturday, so I didn't watch a ton of the games. I watched what I could. I spent most of the day prepping for the birthday, so why was I going to watch a game when Texas was down that big? I know they made a big comeback and fell, up, fell short. Um, Andy, you you did watch that game. What were your thoughts on the end of it? Yeah, I mean, I didn't watch the whole thing. Uh, I was kind of flipping back and forth, and I wasn't really sure which one was actually going to be good. Plus, I was I was repping some some basketball for my kids uh, earlier in the day, and so I kind of was catching stuff here and there as I could. But you know, the fact that Texas got down so big was obviously a big problem, and then they came back, took the lead, and I don't know what Shaka was thinking, but he just you know they needed a spark from him to keep it going, and. Uh, I mean, I can't even describe what he actually did because I don't know if he necessarily did anything wrong, but you could just tell they, they were not an inspired team. Like he had them on, on a timeout and was sitting there talking to them and everybody was just kind of staring at him. Like it didn't look like anyone was bought in. They'd come all the way back and it was just, it was just really weird to look at. So I'm not really sure what's going on there. I don't even know if he really has the team behind him. I don't know what's going to happen. The only thing that keeps me from saying that he is going to lose his job at the end of the year is I don't know what Texas does with that buyout. I don't know if they're going to go be willing to buy him out and then go find another coach. Um, you know, they've had all kinds of problems with the basketball program. To be honest, getting rid of Rick Barnes was probably one of the biggest mistakes that they've had because, yes, he didn't get them all the way up to where he wanted, you know, where they wanted to be. Like, he wasn't able to get them over the hump to have consistent postseason success. Um, but there's a lot to be said for having a consistently good program that can have great years from time to time. And that's what Rick Barnes gives you. You know, he's not, he's not, I don't think you can say he is one of, you know, the, the top tier, you know, top five, top 10 coaches in the game right now, but he was at least a consistent, you know, top 20, maybe top 25, somewhere in there that's going to keep your program relevant, is going to have a good year here and there to get the fan base riled up and keep the program to where it needs to be for you to, to have successful seasons and for fans to stay interested. And they just don't have that right now with Shaka. You know, I've yeah, talked about this the, in the past. Uh... Go ahead. I was say per the Austin American Statesman, the, the buyout is 
million dollars. Like I know Texas has a lot of money, and I know they got a lot of boosters and donors. It's a lot of money for a basketball program. That I mean, I don't think they they don't care as much about men's basketball as football. Would they spend ten million to get rid of a coach that wasn't winning in football? Absolutely, probably not. Basketball. Well, depends. <sighs> depends on on what what it is, and if they've got someone lined up, you know. And, and to be honest, like I don't know, the Shock has had enough bad years in a row for them to kind of be that fed up. If it was, you know, if it was four years of down results in football and it was a ten million buyout, then yeah, definitely. But if it was like you know a year, maybe two years in, and it was that much, I don't know that there'd even be that much, you know, push to get rid of a, a football guy with that yeah, much of a buyout. In year five, when you're getting lottery picks on your roster and you can't win with that, like, I, that, that's the prop. But that's the problem to me is you continue to, to recruit well. You have number one ranked recruiting classes in the Big 12, multiple years that Shock has been there, and they're finishing in sixth, seventh place. I, I don't, that's, that's the biggest problem. If he was recruiting, had the fourth best recruiting classes and was kind of overachieving. He's not. He's massively underachieving with what's expected to be massively talented, talented classes, and nothing ever seems to work or change. Like I agree. I don't know if he's out at the end of the season because of that buyout, but man, it's it does not look good. And if he is there next year, the amount of pressure that's going to be on him to try and do something if it's not already there is just going to get cranked up even more. If he makes it the next year, he's going to have to have a phenomenal year to be able to hang around. Uh, shout out to Bob Huggins. Now has 876 wins in coaching career. Congratulations! It ties him with Adolph Rupp at number seven in the all-times list for, for the NCAA. Big shout out to to Huggy Bear. Love Bob Huggins. Like I don't I don't know anybody who doesn't like Bob Huggins. I don't know how you can't love Bob Huggins. Um, West Virginia playing really well. Obviously had a, an easy win over a bad Missouri squad. So shout out to them. West Virginia continue to have. A good season. A couple of, of notes just to talk about football real quick. Some uh, some new coaching hires around the league. Uh, it's reported that Oklahoma might be bringing in alum DeMarco Murray, currently the running back coach for uh, Kevin Sumlin at Arizona, might be the next running back coach there at Oklahoma. Uh, Baylor making quite a few moves. Dave Aranda still working to fill out his staff. Obviously, uh, they have their offense coordinator. Larry Fedora, former Oklahoma State offense coordinator for their former Southern Miss and North Carolina head coach, now the OC at Baylor. This is an interesting I, – I like the hire. I do. It is funny that he's coming along with former Oklahoma State offensive lineman, uh, our line coach Joe Wickline coming to the Bears. Look, I, Wickline was a good offensive line coach, and Fedora was a good offensive coordinator. I think Aranda is putting together a really good coaching staff I think he's doing a good job there in Waco. Uh, they've also hired a new cornerbacks coach in Brian Stewart, who I believe spent the last couple of years with the Detroit Lions as their cornerback coach. I I like what Aranda's putting together. Uh, it's intriguing. I, I, and I think he's got a, a coaching staff that is set up to have some long-term success there in Waco. Yeah, the only thing that I'm wondering about, you know, the only question that Baylor really had was in terms of consistency on offense. Um, and I just don't know the, I guess, what this offensive staff is going to be able to do to kind of take them to the next level. They have a very good defensive staff from everything I've seen. And they had a phenomenal defense last year. And so I'm expecting that to kind of buoy them up until they can figure it out on offense. But I'm just not sure, are they going to get that step they need, um, you know, offensively to allow them to remain up towards the top of the big 12 and kind of take that next step forward. Um, or are they going to have a little bit of a down year, which wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing. Wouldn't be completely unexpected when you're changing coaching staff. Um, 
you know, like if they want to stay up at the top of the conference, that offense has to take a step forward. And I just don't, I don't think I know enough about the way that the staff is coming together to really tell me whether I think that that offense can do it. I look, I, I think, and, I, and we've talked about this on the pod before. I think that 2020 is a, is a step back season. Part of that is the amount of players that they are losing from last year, especially on defense is substantial. You look at how many one score games, very, very close games they won last season on the edge of a knife. That's hard to replicate. And and when you're completely overhauling a coaching staff, that's almost impossible to replicate. So I, I think Baylor will still be good this year. Um, I think it's a step back to eight wins. But I I do like I like Aranda. I've only heard positive things. I like the staff that he's putting together. It's a very smart staff. Um I think long term, this is all setting up to keep Baylor successful. And and now that we know how much money Baylor has to spend on coaching staffs and a, and a head coach, learning how much the coach rule made before he left, I think Baylor's got the money to put together. I just I think Baylor is set up to have success. I I, I and if they do it the right way, it can be sustained success. I do think that. Um, I, I think Baylor's. I had this discussion on the pod of. You know, for me growing up, Baylor was hot garbage. Andy, you growing up, Baylor was hot garbage. And it's hard to get that mindset of what Bay- of Baylor being that out of our heads. But they've been good for long enough now that most, the younger generation, the, the kids that are younger than us, who, who are now becoming 18 and 19 and, and going to play football, they only know Baylor being good. They don't know crappy Baylor. So I think Baylor is in a spot right now where they are they have proven they can win with two different head coaches. I think they've brought in a good staff and are set up to win with a third one. Again, slight step back this year, but I think moving forward they they are a team that could potentially be one of the, you know, consistently top 4 teams in the conference. Yeah, I'm wondering how much of this is how much of this is just me, you know, as a Jayhawks fan feeling left behind the fact that Baylor was able to improve so much um after they had been so bad and Kansas hasn't been able to do that yet, but you know, Art, Art Briles, obviously his legacy is going to be very mixed. Um, you're going to have a lot of people that are very happy about what he was able to get Baylor to be able to do. And then a lot of people, deservedly so, are going to highlight, you know, how his tenure there ended. I think they they, they were extremely fortunate with Matt Rule um, to get him and have him develop the program back, you know, to where it was supposed to be as quickly as it's gotten there. Um, I, I just, you know, I think it's definitely a possibility they can keep it there. But I think that this first year is going to go a long way to determining what kind of, you know, program they're going to have moving forward. Aranda has not, you know, he, he's been a high-level coordinator at one of the very, very, you know, best schools that you could possibly be at to kind of get you ready, I think, to be a head coach. Um, but the question is going to be, you know, is he going to be able to get that kind of success? If he's able to get, you know, like you were saying, eight or nine wins in his first year, then, yeah, Baylor's probably not going to miss a beat. Um, you know, if he struggles and gets upset a little bit, and, you know, either his, his defense doesn't click because he tries to take around too much um, or, you know, the offense just kind of falls off because they don't have that offensive coaching staff where it needs to be to utilize these guys the way they need. Like, you know, all I heard about was that they wanted to kind of do the same sort of thing offensively that LSU was doing. And I don't know that Baylor has the personnel to do that kind of offense. Um, I mean, they can get there if they get a really strong recruiting class, um, which has always been a problem for a brand new coach you know, after the, the early signing period has now become a thing. Like, I'm, I'm worried that they're maybe going to be a little unrealistic. Um, and the question then becomes, if they can't get to the target that people think they should be able to get to, you know, does the support stay around 
long enough for him to kind of, um, you know, get, get uh, I guess, anchored in there and really get himself moving forward to improve. Like, I think, like you were saying, there's enough recent success that maybe it'll be there. But if it's a particularly bad year, you know, or something, something weird happens or for, for whatever reason, they decide that they don't immediately love Aranda there. Um, they could potentially not be as good. You know, they could be a little spoiled in what they're expecting. I, I just don't know how any, how any of that's going to play out. It's a completely fascinating thing to me about what's possible. So I'm just kind of excited to see what, what's going to happen. Then. All right, Andy, uh, you know what? This has been fun. Uh, let's get to our interview with Jesse. Before we do that, everybody, you know the routine. Do us a favor. Give us a follow on Twitter at 1012podcast, T-E-N, the number 12, the word podcast. Don't forget, however you listen to the show, do us a favor. Leave us a review. Leave us a rating, five stars if you don't mind. It helps get the word out. helps other people find the show, which is the whole point. Uh, and if you do like the show and you do follow us on Twitter, retweet. Just just a little retweet. All you got to do that one button, just that one retweet button. That's all we ask. It's just one. Just click. That's all you got to do. It's no time. You know, no effort. All right. Let's get to Jesse Newell. Very excited to have Jesse Newell joining the show today to help kind of break down the current state of the Kansas Jayhawks. And Jesse, before we look forward, I want to go back a little bit. I don't want to spend too much time on the on the brawl between Kansas and Kansas State. It's been a week now. Um, we, we know the repercussions from those actions, from that fight. Uh, they came swifter than I, I expected them to. But I am curious from your point. Um, four players were suspended. Obviously, Silvio D'Souza had the harshest punishment with 12 games. Uh, David McCormick had two. And then two Kansas State players, James Love and Antonio Gordon, also received um, some some multiple-game suspension. I was shocked to only see four players get suspended. Um, I'm curious from you, what, what were your expectations um, – Coming into the coming into the punishment, and and what did you think about them? Did you think they were fair, or were you surprised as well? Yeah, I mean, I think the four punished. I, I think that's it was probably in, in line with what I thought. I thought for Kansas side of things, which is obviously what I'm most focused on um, as the KUB writer for this, you know, for the Star, and, and looking at that from from that lens, you know, I, I thought DeSosa obviously for sure would be suspended. Dave McCormick was going to be um, for a few games or, you know, one to five, something like that. And then the only other one really was Marcus Garrett to me. He kind of was along with David McCormick over, kind of made his way over toward love. And it was really difficult, even with all the angles, to kind of judge intent and what's going on. You know, you see David McCormick and Marcus Garrett was kind of shuffling towards him, but you can't see where he is. You can't see if they're stomping him, which obviously would be one thing, or if they're just kind of trying to tower over him, which is another thing, or if they're even close to him at all, um, which would be another thing entirely. So I really wasn't surprised. We had a, our own podcast, our Sports BKC podcast, right afterwards. We did it like an hour or two after the brawl. And, um, you know, kind of we talked about, hey, all these players left the bench, and, you know, would this Big 12 consider suspending players, anyone, any of them that left the bench? Because obviously those players were ejected from that game. And I even said at the time, I just said, no, I think the Big 12 needs to get after the real people who were involved here and kind of see the forest through the trees. I mean, you could go punish Kansas and make them sit everyone but four players, but then you're forcing them to forfeit, and that really doesn't do anything or prove anything. It's just kind of punishing to be punishing. So I, I think it kind of went in line with what I thought. I thought maybe Marcus Garrett would get a game, but when he didn't, 
Um, everything else sort of went in line with what I expected, which was Silvio to get the most and then David McCormick to get um, some sort of punishment and from there uh, for everybody to sort of move on and try to move forward. Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in here because I, I honestly was a little surprised um, with kind of the, the, the differences. So, you know, I, I definitely thought that uh, love for, for K-State could have gotten somewhere, somewhere close to what Silvio got, but the fact that he's doing eight after he gets medically cleared, one, he's not a huge portion of their lineup anyway um, and wasn't really expected to be, so it's not going to really hurt them that much. But you can say the same for Silvio. He's not a huge part of the Kansas lineup. And so, um, you know, like you would like to have him. You can have that extra body down low. Um, but what really is hurting Kansas is the suspension of McCormick. I, I was thinking, like you, Jesse, that it would be anywhere from one to five games. I definitely thought I was going to get a suspension once I saw, you know, the whether it was an actual punch or if it was just like an open – you know, an open hand, like, push in the face. Either way, that was aggressive enough, but I thought he was going to get something. Um, and then whether he was stomping um, is kind of open to interpretation. With, with Love getting out of, out of that pile there as quickly as he did, I'm not even sure that McCormick was actually anywhere near him when that foot motion happened. And it easily could have been him stepping over somebody or stepping over something on the ground as opposed to actually stomping on somebody. So there's a lot of – I think there was a lot of questions about exactly what happened, even with all the angles that we were able to see eventually. I just don't know that there was enough for a lot of guys to really be able to get huge suspensions. And like you were saying, like, even if they were to suspend everybody that came off the bench, I think that didn't happen one because it was at the very end of the game. And you can reasonably argue that basically everybody thought the game was over anyway, in which case it's not a coming off of the bench type of suspension. Um, but the other thing I think that you also kind of have to take into account there, um, you know, if they were to do those kinds of suspensions, they would probably do a rolling suspension like they've done in other cases. Um, where not everybody would be suspended the same game, but that for a one-game suspension that everybody would get would kind of be a nightmare to administer. Um, so I think they kind of just saved everybody a headache and said, let's go after the main guys. Obviously, Silvio gets a lot because of the image of the, cha of, the, of the stool over his head, even if he didn't actually swing. Even that's up for, for debate, whether he was actually going to swing it, if someone yanked it out of his hand or if he dropped it on his own. There's just too much there, I think, for them to really go after guys too hard. Um, there's even been an argument that I've heard from several people that I've not sure how much I buy into it, but it's at least a possibility, you know, that the reason Silvio got 12 was essentially to make sure that he's not there for that other Kansas State game, uh, the one that's going to happen in Manhattan at the end of the month, uh, the month of February. Um, if that's the reason he got 12, I can kind of see it. I kind of understand it. I don't know that that should have been one of the things that they really thought about, um, but I can at least understand why they did that. But it's, it's hard to complain with any of these because, like you were saying, Jesse, you know, Garrett could have potentially gotten one. You know, they could have gotten anyone who got into the fray. So a guy like Brown could have potentially gotten one. I don't know that it, was, it would have been warranted. Um, but I thought overall, you know, they went after the main people. They didn't go overboard. And they kind of just wanted to get it done and get it out of here so people stop talking about it. Let me see. I, I am I'm glad D'Souza is going to get to play again. I understand the image is bad. Um, and I think the punishment is, is absolutely deserved for what happened. But I, I'm glad he's still going to get to play. I think this kid's been through a lot. And at a certain point, you're just kind of like, I, I, I understand. I'm just, I'm glad he's going to play again. I, that said, one of his 11 games are gone. Um, McCormick going to miss one more this week against Oklahoma State. Jesse, how do you think these suspensions affect Kansas moving forward? Well, I, I think that's the main point, honestly, is McCormick. And I think any, you know, brought the point, which is for Kansas, Sylvia really wasn't playing anyway. And it actually kind of alleviates a little bit of a headache for Bill Self and the fact that he had these two big men that were kind of splitting minutes at five 
whenever Yudoko Azubuki came out and Yudoko Azubuki down 30 or 40 pounds isn't coming out that often. Um, it also alleviates another headache because David McCormick was in the starting lineup. I asked Bill Self about, hey, you've been talking about how your four guards are the most effective lineup, yet you've been starting two bigs. Kind of, you know, what, what, what goes through your mind when that sort of dilemma comes up? And he sort of admitted that um, because they'd had some injuries, you know, okay, you had Devon Dotson unsure whether he was going to play in a couple, a couple games. Bill Self kind of just left things status quo with David McCormick so that he didn't tell him he wasn't starting and then would have to go back to him if Devon Dotson was hurt and say, okay, yeah, you are starting. But now it allows Bill Self to start his four-guard lineup and take David McCormick out of, you know, the starting lineup, and I don't think he'll be back the rest of the season. So actually, it's sort, in sort of a weird way, this has kind of made things a little bit easier for Bill Self in the short term because he doesn't have to worry about a frustrated Silvio not getting minutes off of his bench, and he also can make a move to a four-guard starting lineup, which he sort of seemed to want to do but now can officially do uh, kind of based off of David McCormick's own, own actions because – he can't start because he's been suspended for two games. But I know this uh, podcast has come out on Monday, so some of these words people might hear them and already know how this game turned out. But, yeah, the big thing for Kansas is they got through their one game without David McCormick against Tennessee and got a victory, even though Hidoka Azubuki, of course, had foul trouble, which KU had to battle through. Um, that game against Oklahoma State is really the, the, the main thing. If they can get through that unscathed, then potentially for Kansas, this actually um, could have some positives come out of it. And that's, I mean, that's not something that I'm sure – that K-State fans or, you know, college basketball fans would want to hear from that. But Kansas potentially could have some positive things come out of this, but they've got to get out of Stillwater. And that's been a place historically that they have not played well. So I, I do want to go there next, just real quick. What are your thoughts on this game? Obviously, this will be out on Monday morning. So if you're listening to this before the game tips off tonight, Kansas headed to Stillwater to face Oklahoma State, a place where uh, Bill Self has had had struggles at at Oklahoma State in the past. So, what do you think about this game and, and this matchup? I know OSU's they got a nice win over A and M. They've really struggled this this past month and a half. And after seven zero start, they're now sitting at at ten and nine, and it's, they've had some real problems. But looked nice on Saturday, albeit at a, an A and M team that's not very good. Looking at that team and, and understanding that everyone's finally healthy, Jesse, what do you, what do you think? Well, I think this is one of those, and um, to be fully honest, I haven't done the quick scout yet where I'll kind of dive a little bit deeper into Kay's opponent for every game. But you know, I watched part of the game that Oklahoma State played at home against Baylor about a week and a half ago. And, you know, when, when Oklahoma State's on at home and shooting well and, and playing with confidence, I mean, they had Baylor down double digits, and it looked like they were going to win that game. But they also played poorly enough to still lose that game kind of <laughs> convincingly in the end. And I, I think – to me, in general, this is sort of this is sort of where the Big 12 is different from years past. This sort of game for Kansas, because in years past, KU would have a really good team, and they would go on the road against the Big 12, and the Big 12 just would have basically no teams that were ranked outside the top 50 in Ken Palm. So no matter who you were and who you were going against, if you were on the road in the Big 12, you were a, a one-point favorite or a coin flip game, and, and that's where it's different this year. Is that there's been teams like Oklahoma State and K-State and Oklahoma and um, you know that have sort of fallen off where Kansas is good for sure but to go on the road here even short two players of the rotation and in a place that they don't win that often or haven't won historically as often as you would think they're probably still going to be an eight or nine point favorite so there's some margin of error for there for Kansas so you know for KU they got to get out to shooters sometimes they struggle with that this year you know they, we saw that last year against Oklahoma State where um, Oklahoma State had a a three at the end to, to potentially, you know, put Kansas in a real bad spot. And they faked the screen, got a wide open one, and, and it just missed. So 
Um, I think people respect Mike Boyd. I think, um, you know, as a coach, they like him as X's and O's. But for Kansas in general, this is a much more winnable game than it's been in years past just because, like I said, I think the bottom of the Big 12 has fallen out a little bit more than what we would expect going into this season. Yeah, the thing that concerns me with this game, though, is the fact that Kansas looked so bad when they didn't have a big in there, when, when Enerino was playing in the five. Um, you know, I think Oklahoma State is going to take a look at that and is going to try to find ways to take advantage. The question is going to be, can Kansas play well enough when Doak's in and limited foul trouble often enough that they can then weather the storm when he's out and they have to deal with whatever big that Oklahoma State's throwing away. I, I, I hope that they don't have to worry about that, that Doak can stay out of foul trouble. But I think that's the big worry that you have that might be the only big ramification to come out of those, those suspensions. So I, I want to talk about this past weekend. Obviously, it's the annual Big 12 SEC Challenge. All 10 Big 12 teams versus 10 teams from the SEC. Uh, we had a tie, 5-5. So because the Big 12 last, won last year, the, the trophy, the, apparently there's a trophy. I didn't know there was a trophy for this. I don't think I've ever seen the trophy for this. Stays with the Big 12, which I assume is at the Big 12 home off, like, which is just odd, but we'll get past that. This wasn't... I kind of look forward to this. It's fun. It's it's a fun little break at the end of January um, in the middle of conference play just to see something different. And in the years past, we've had some really big matchups and some really exciting games. And this year's matchups just fell a little flat. And we got Kentucky-Texas Tech, two ranked teams. That was a, that was a great game and a great atmosphere. Um, obviously, Kansas-Tennessee, that game was was close toward the end. But if you really looked across the, the the whole thing and all the matchups, it wasn't great. You know, West Virginia, who's been really good this year, gets a really bad Missouri team. Uh, Baylor, Florida was was supposed to be good. I still don't understand how Florida was favored in that game whatsoever at all. Uh, Baylor took care of that one pretty handily. And then the rest of it, you know, you see Auburn versus Iowa State. And, and, and look, I understand every game can't be evenly matched, and I'm not complaining saying like the Big 12 was at a disadvantage in any way, shape, or form. But I'm curious, you guys' thoughts. I understand that the logistics of this probably wouldn't be the easiest thing in the world. But I would really like to not have the matchups for this set all the way back in in September and October. Can we just wait till mid-December? till we know something about these teams and, and, and try and put together some better matchups for this? Because if ESPN is going to have all 10 games on all day long, it would be really good if this whole day was must-watch television. And it, and it is, but this year just, and, and I've had this thought in the past few years, it's just not as good as I think it, it could be. Uh, how do you guys think this Big 12 SEC Challenge is working out? Do you, do you like it? Do you wish they could do something different with it? Uh, Jesse, why don't you go first? Yeah, I, I mean, I think, it's a, I think it's a good idea you bring up. I think you also bring up the biggest negative with it is just logistically how you would do it. And also, um, it's, I think it maybe sort of goes back to your original point with this, which I totally agree with, which is, you know, everybody asked me, how, how did it turn out? Which, which conference won the most games? And my response immediately, when everybody says that or anybody asks me that, is, who cares? You know, I don't care. And the thing about it is, even if you gave me two very equal conferences, which obviously you can't do in this case because the Big 12 only has 10 teams, so the SEC has to sit some teams out. Uh, I mean, if you gave me, two, you know, 10 comparable teams in most conferences, you could still stage a way to make one conference go eight and two. You know, you would just have, like you talked about, you could have your best school go against the other teams or the other conferences' tenth best, and your second best go against the ninth best, and then just have, you know, line them up where, okay, this team is going to be a two-point favorite, this team is going to be a two-point favorite. So it's not really telling you exactly what 
you're wanting it to tell you, which is like conference superiority or whatever the case may be. I, I do think, though, it's it's a nice break out of the, the conference season to see something different, especially this year. I mean, I, I think it was unfortunate for Kansas because KU has played so many low-possession, defensive struggle games. And while this Tennessee game didn't turn into that, um, like the defensive struggle that um, KU has faced so often here in recent games, it, it, like Tennessee is like a prototypical Big 12 team this year. It's like KU stepped out of conference to play another team that is great in the half court defensively, turns it over a ton, and doesn't have great offense. And so it could have been a moment where KU saw something different and flew up and down the court and you know had a different style. And, and that didn't, that's not the way it turned out for Kansas. But I, I think – Overall, it, it is what it is, basically. I know I'm going kind of using cliche there, but like, <laughs> it's it's a break from the conference play. People are going to look at who won the most games, which is fine. If you want to have your silly trophy, okay, whatever. But like, I think I'm fine with it just being that and taking additional steps to make it intriguing or whatever. I mean, it's going to be difficult. It's college basketball. Um, you know, it's a grind of a season, and then people only really care about what happens in the final six games in March and April. So um, whenever you try to drop up more interest, sometimes it's like the – the juice isn't worth the squeeze, and then this might be one of those cases. And you mentioned it. Some years past, it's been really amazing, and, and a lot of reasons for that has been KU Kentucky's been on the plate for many of those times. So if that kind of revives uh, KU Kentucky again and it's played at Rupp and Allen Fieldhouse, then potentially this thing is, is saved pretty easy. But um, I, I think just for a, a one-year sample, like you said, I think the Florida-Baylor game, you would have expected to be closer, and some of these other ones uh, maybe could have played out closer. It just didn't turn out that way. Um, one year probably – shouldn't cause a panic attack. And like I said, the Big 12 SEC challenge as a whole probably shouldn't cause us to, to lose much sleep at night. Yeah, so so my thoughts on that, I mean, I don't know if you could really ask much more from what we got, though. Like, you know, there's only so many games you can watch at a time, and every single time slot that was there had a good game. You know, there was the Iowa State comeback against Auburn, the Kansas playing against Tennessee, which was a little unexpected. Um, you know, but then you had Kentucky and Texas Tech was a really good one, and even Kansas – State and uh, and Alabama was good, and then the night game Baylor and Florida was good for most of the team there. So like you got everything I think you want out of a challenge like this. Um, you know the fact that it wasn't the games we were necessarily expecting. Uh, I don't know that you could have done any better though by trying to set the matchup even a month in advance because those teams can even change that much. You know, just in the month from when you would have set the matchups to when they actually would have played. Yeah, no, I think it's fine. I I, I just you know sometimes. It's a one-off year. It was an odd year. Just the, I'm just curious. But, you know, they have the Big 12 has that Big 12 biggest tournament that we've started, and that was spread out through non-conference. And I, and I wonder if, you know, 10 teams versus 10 teams. It's a similar situation. Like, the Big East won that one handily. And, and the Big East is a really good conference this year, and I'm not trying to say, like, the Big East isn't, isn't good. But, you know, to Jesse's point of sometimes it's about matchups. Like, I think the Big East won that one, if you want to do it in that three-point, like, 8-2. to two. You know, it this I, I don't care as much about which conference wins unless you just want to have some bragging rights but i i, I want interesting matchups so um i mean this is going to happen i i still like the crossover i i, I they're still going to keep doing it and I, I enjoy it but you know it's it's fun to dissect and try and figure out if there's a way to make things better um jesse man Thank you very much. This has been absolutely awesome. I appreciate you coming on the show every time you do. Uh, do me a favor. How can everybody check out the work you do covering the Kansas Jayhawks? Yeah, Twitter's at Jesse Newell, and then uh, KansasCity.com is where people can find the articles, and uh, it's a good spot to check out this week because the city is on fire with Chiefs fever for sure. We've got 11-plus uh, people heading down to Miami for the Super Bowl uh, mm-hmm. and should have all the coverage there. So even if you're not a, a – 
a you know even if you don't want to look at college basketball stories there's plenty of coverage there to read if you're looking to uh to read about the big game and, and see what's going on down there should be a lot of fun i'm sure you guys are really enjoying yourselves i am a i put this I'm a Niners and Cheese fan, so this is like the greatest Super Bowl you could ever ask for for me because it doesn't matter who wins, <laughs> I win, which is a great feeling. But uh, obviously, I will be rooting for the Chiefs to have uh, a great performance on Sunday. You enjoy it. Uh, you got enjoy the, the game between Kansas and Oklahoma State on Monday, and, uh, and we'll talk again soon. All right. Appreciate you guys. Thanks. Podcast Network.